0: Well welcome King's Church, we are so glad you have joined us today wherever you are around the Atlantic region, Nova Scotia, PEI, New Brunswick, or even beyond, uh, presumably in your living room, or maybe you're listening on the road, I don't know, but we're glad wherever you are, we're glad you're here, and uh, I want to say I miss you, we can't wait to be gathered together at our physical locations, and soon and very soon we will do that. Uh, but I want to jump right in today. If you have a Bible, which you probably do, you should go online. Go to BibleGateway.org or YouVersion or Blue Letter Bible. All kinds of options. Go there and uh, open up Revelation chapter 19. Or if you've got your good old-fashioned real Bible like me, uh, turn all the way to the back. Uh, not to the maps, but almost to the maps. Go to uh, Revelation chapter 19. We're going to read from Revelation 19 together. Uh, and this is the climactic point of the whole book of Revelation and can be argued the point to which like the the work of Jesus on the cross and the work of the church is all aiming toward this moment in Revelation chapter 19. I'm going to read it and then we're going to pray and we're going to jump right in. So let's look at it. It says in verse 11, this is the words of John in his picture he's painting for us. He said, I saw heaven open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful, and true with justice he judges and wages war how many of us would love to see someone rule with justice real justice his eyes are like blazing fire and his on his head are many crowns he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of god And I saw an angel, John says, in the sun, standing in the sun, who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair. Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small." Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war on the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur." The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Let's stop there. Some of you are like, that's just wild. Sounds awful and great as well, some of it. It sounds terrible and horrific and also wonderful and awesome. What is this? We're going to start diving in. We're going to dive into this for the next few weeks. But let's just say a quick prayer. Father, help us here what it is that the Spirit is saying to the church. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we are diving back into the Bible series that we started, can you believe it, two years ago. January 2020, we began this, and I think back to that time. I mean, I saw a clip they posted on social media of a sermon that that launched this whole thing. And I look back on that, and I just think, wow, a lot has changed in those two years. Like you think back, how much has happened in those two years, and how much has been revealed in those two years? We've learned a lot, haven't we? We've learned a lot about ourselves. We've learned a lot about our friendships, our relationships, our health, our families, our marriages. We've learned about our kids. Our, we've learned about other people. We've learned about economics and viruses and pandemics and economies and politics. We, we've dove deep into all of it. We've learned about how quick and easy it is to bring division into people. How quick we villainize one another. We've learned about how incapable of nuance we often are. We've learned about the world. We've learned that with all of our technology, with all of our society and civilization, with all of our policy and politics and leaders, that we aren't as equipped to build utopia as we might have thought we were. If I think about 2020 and 2021, if it's taught us anything, I think we should have learned by now, and I think about this for myself, and and that is this, that we we don't see things quite as clearly as we think we do. Like I think back on myself two years ago and man, I had ideas about the way things are and the way I am and the type of person I am that these last two years have kind of revealed that my perspective back then was highly limited. And if we're good students of what we've learned over the last couple of years, we could probably start to conclude that, you know what, we don't maybe see at the best of times all that well. And that maybe our perspective at any time should be taken with a grain of salt If 2020 and 2021 has taught me anything, it's that maybe it's brought new clarity to my lack of perspective, my lack of vision. You know, I wonder if you had that same occurrence that you've just realized, you know what, there were things I thought that I've come to change my mind on, things I thought were true that turned out to not be true, things that I thought weren't a thing that are a thing. We've learned a lot. It has revealed a lot and it's shown us that we lack vision least I've felt that about myself, and I've felt that about all of us at times, and I think you're included in this. I was thinking about it like this, the, the, the idea of people who have blurred vision, we as human beings, we really struggle to see the big picture a lot of the time. It, maybe I'd best say this, that if we don't struggle in one area, it's the area of hindsight. You know, hindsight is 2020. we can look back and start to put things together, but in the moment, and when it pertains to the future, we often really have a limited perspective, don't we? And I think these last two years have really taught us that. We struggle with insight, don't we? We have this problem when it comes to being able to see into things, to actually perceive and to ha- actually know what's going on behind the scenes. How many of you have felt duped at different times over the last two years? Maybe tricked or maybe disappointed with the reality that you didn't know was going on beneath the surface I think we all struggle with insight seeing through things and I think even more so we all struggle with the issue of foresight if we've learned anything in the last two years it's that we can't perceive much beyond the moment that we're in can we We'd love to think of ourselves as people who can tell the future and predict what's going to happen and maybe even work to ensure a safe and prosperous future. But I think this pandemic over the last two years, if I look back to when we began this series, I think we have learned one thing for sure, that when it comes to the future, we really struggle to see. Well, here's the good news today as we jump back into the book of Revelation our lack of vision is the precise reason we were ever given this book, this message from God in the first place. It was given to us to help us see. And now for those of you, maybe you're just joining us and you weren't with us at in, in, uh, King's Church for the first section of this study. You're going to find out that Revelation was given to paint a big picture and to help us with our lack of insight and our lack of foresight. Now, for those of you who are new or for those of you who, like me, have been journeying along, but you probably need a refresh, I want to take a few minutes today just to catch everybody up to the big picture of Revelation. I want to do a quick flyover to help us get just a refresher on this book that causes so much confusion, frustration, misinterpretation. Ironically, it's, it's almost the opposite of its name for some of us. It's been the most misapplied and abused and misused. Used book in the entire Bible and yet it was given so that we could see better. So I want us to sort of dive in and start to get a real handle on what the book of Revelation really is all about. And so there's five things that you need to know as we jump into this. First, the first thing we need to remember, let's look into, is the title. It's, it's in the title. The book of Revelation is, is better known as this, the Apocalypse of Jesus Christ. The apocalypse of Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, first thing you need to know, a pet peeve of mine, is that there is no S in the book of Revelation. It is not Revelations, and if you ever have a preacher or somebody come to you and say, hey, the book of Revelation says such and such, they probably don't know what they're talking about that deep because you don't have to study too hard to find out that the book of Revelation has no S in the title. That's a pet peeve. Stop playing and putting that S in there. But the book of Revelation is ultimately this word, it circles around this word apocalypsis. Now, we have interpreted the word apocalypse to mean what? Catastrophe, the end of the world. But that's not what apocalypse actually means. Apocalypse, or the Greek word apocalypsis, means unveiling or an uncovering. It's to reveal what was hidden. And so, true to its name, the book of Revelation was given to actually pull back the veil on things hidden to us. That's why we have this book. So that's the title. Let's jump into the author. Who wrote this book? We actually find out early on there's a man named John. Most scholars believe it was John the Apostle, the very one that walked and lived three years with Jesus and was one of the apostles that got the church going in the first century. It was on the island of Patmos where he was placed in isolation where Jesus showed up and gave him this message to give to the church which brings us to the next thing you need to know about Revelation and that is this it was written to and for the church of Jesus Christ both in the first century and also throughout the ages. It is a timeless word that has applied to every Christian, every believer, since the day that Jesus gave it to John on the island of Patmos. It's important that you know that. It's a failure to actually read this book to say this only applied back then, and it's also a failure to read this book and say it only applies someday in the future. It is a book that is true and was given to provide us a picture into what we can't see, which brings us to our purpose. Stay with me. The purpose of the book of Revelation is simply this, and it says it right in chapter one, to provide grace and peace for the listener or the reader, the one who hears this message, by giving information and insight and foresight into the hidden or unperceived realities at work in the world, both present and future. Now, I know that was a mouthful, but just to bring it back into full scope, The book of Revelation was given to provide grace and peace to those who would hear it by unveiling or revealing things that we cannot see, both present and future. So, it's important that when we read this, like I just said, we don't look at it as some secret code that's going to be unlocked someday in the future that's just for then. We don't look back and say, you know what, that only applies to first century Christians and it's all fulfilled and it doesn't matter. We don't read it and say it's all just imagery and it's not to be taken literally at all. We say this is the Word of God that was true when it was written and given. It was true in the first century, the second century, the third century. It's true today. And it will ultimately be fulfilled when Christ returns, which we're going to talk about here in just a minute. Final thing you need to know about Revelation, and then you're all caught up on what this book is, and then we'll look at the content. The last thing is this, that the book of Revelation was constructed or it's put together as what is, in what is known as apocalyptic imagery. It's, it's this type of writing that exists in the Bible. There's a few different places that you can actually see it where it's uses images to create a picture to help us see something that we weren't seeing before. That's what apocalyptic literature actually is. So maybe to help illustrate, I thought this might help. So so everyone knows what this is. This is a political comic. This is something you'd read at the back of a newspaper or someone would share it on Facebook as a meme. And all of us know what it's trying to say. Now, this is probably taken early 2020. This, I don't know the backstory behind this. It looks like it was when COVID was starting to break out bad in America and it wasn't here and we were bragging about it. This was the time of the, sec- the election probably when Trump was no longer president, all that kind of thing. We know because we are part of this culture and this time that these images are communicating something. What's it trying to tell us? It's trying to tell us through these images that there is this, whole lot of mess in the United States that we're trying to keep out of here. This beaver, there was a beaver holding back this locked wall to keep America out. That's basically what it is. Now, some of you would say, actually, I think it's the other way around, and we should probably be trying to get in there. We'll talk about that another day. But you know what this means. This means That there is this force that's trying to keep these bad things out. We understand. Now, is there a literal beaver standing at a wall with a, a lock and key keeping Donald Trump and MAGA hats behind it? No, that's not what's really going on. It's a picture given to help lay alongside a reality so we can see better. And that is ultimately what apocalyptic is. It's these word pictures. It's a movie of words to help us see what we can't see. And so we don't necessarily read it literally in that there's literally a beaver at the wall. We read it literarily that that represents us as Canadians, correct? And so that's how we need to sort of understand the book of Revelation. Now, some of you are like, so, so it's not true? No, it's 100% true. But don't get lost in the image, See, a lot of the time we get lost, with the, we miss the forest for the trees, and we think, we, get, we zoom in on these weird descriptions, and we don't know the context or what it's communicating. Do you think if we dropped John the Apostle here, he would understand that at a glance? No, he doesn't know our culture. And so this has taken some study to help us dive a little bit deeper into the understanding. But it's really important you understand these images are trying to communicate a deeper truth to us. And so that's basically what you need to know about the book of Revelation. Now let me catch you up so that we can kind of get all on point today. I'm going to bring home one quick point. That's all we're going to cover today. But I want to give you a flyover of the apocalypse So we're going to just zoom over what we've discovered in the book of Revelation. The first five chapters kind of form this one section. We opened it up and we found in chapter 1, we actually see a revelation of Jesus. See, this book isn't just the revelation of Jesus, although it is. And we see a picture of him in chapter 1. It's incredible. Go check it out. But it's also a revelation from Jesus. He actually gives John the words. He actually tells John what's going on. He begins... With seven letters to seven churches. We studied that. You can find all of those messages on our YouTube channel or on our website. And it goes through these letters to seven churches. And then it zooms in. The, v- the vision begins. And John starts describing what he saw. And it starts by this door opening. And he sees a throne. And it's the throne of the whole universe... And he sees God on the throne and the image zooms in and he realizes that it's God on the throne, God as a lamb that had been slain. And it's this incredible picture and this incredible claim that the one who is on the throne of the universe is the lamb. Now if you know the Bible... Just like the beaver picture, we know that's a Canadian, while a lamb, according to the scripture, this, this draws back imagery. It's, it goes back to Exodus, the sacrificial lamb, then it goes to Jesus. Behold the lamb of God who is given to take away the sins of the world. Who is the lamb that's on the throne, according to the vision? It's who? It's, say it in the chat. It's Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is on the throne of the universe. And that's the central message that it begins to give us to zoom in and say, look, things are not as they seem in this world. Jesus, the Lamb, is on the throne. What hope for the church. Now it goes on from there, and we studied all this. The Lamb then goes and takes a scroll. And the scroll represents the blueprint or the plan, the sovereign plan of the Lord Almighty. And the lamb takes it and breaks the seals and opens it up. And it represents the unfolding of God's plan for the universe. And ultimately divine judgment on creation, removing all sins, Satan, and everything that degrades God's good and perfect creation. And so we see these waves of judgment happen. The seven seals get open, which unlock three. Three waves of judgment, seven trumpets, seven signs, and seven bowls. And all of them are this same cycle of story of wrath culminating in the day of the Lord. And we get to chapter 17, 18, and 19. And this is really where we're going to park for the next few weeks and ultimately this last section where we're going to look at the end. And Revelation 19 is ultimately the culmination of the day of the Lord. It's the moment where Jesus returns and we start to see that all the counter-kingdom, the Antichrist, the, the devil, sin, Satan, and demons, all being cast away and dealt with by King Jesus and ultimately heaven and earth coming together God's people with him forever and ever. That is the big grand scope of the whole book of Revelation. And it tells this story, it paints this picture of the final and decisive end and the beginning of forever. It's like the end of this age and the beginning of forever. So, just to zoom it all in, I know you're just... Track them with me today. We're doing the deep dive. And it's important we get this stuff before we start trying to understand what it's saying. What is the point of the entire book of Revelation? Like based on what we've seen, based on how this is all flowing up to this moment of the great day of the Lord. What is ultimately the book of Revelation trying to tell us? If I said it in a tweet, if I could say it in a sentence, it's this. Look, see, things are not as they seem. Maybe this will be more of a paragraph. Let me say it like this. It might seem like Caesar is Lord and he's going to rule forever it might seem like covid is king and it's going to rule forever. It might seem like restrictions are king and they're going to rule you and oppress you forever. It might seem like corruption is king and it's going to rule forever. It might seem like chaos is king. It might seem like conflict is king and it's going to rule forever. Global conflict. It might seem like injustice and sickness and illness and loss and death and pride and disease and hate are king and they're going to rule forever. But look, behold, Jesus is king and he's coming again. That is the whole message of the book of Revelation in one succinct statement. Jesus is king and he's coming again. Jesus is king and he's coming Again, that is the whole message. Just let it hit your spirit today. Jesus is King. And he's coming again. So look, it might seem like other forces in this world are king, but Revelation wants you to see there's a lamb on the throne. And it might seem like Jesus is ruling from some distant place and he's never going to come and actually exact his rule on earth. And it's not making a big difference that the lamb is on the throne. But behold, the lamb isn't just on the throne. He's coming again and he will flush out and flesh out all sin, Satan, disease, death. It will be eradicated from his creation and he will rule forever in peace, truth, grace, and justice. That is the good news of the book of Revelation. Jesus is king and he's coming again. This is the central claim and this is the whole message I just want you to hear today. I'm giving you the, the, the Coles notes. What is Revelation all about? When someone asks you, what's that crazy book all about with birds gorging on flesh and Man with the sword tongue and all that stuff. What's it trying to say? You tell them, Jesus is king and he's coming again. What's that all about? About the day of the Lord and wrath and judgment and the lake of fire and the beast and the antichrist? Jesus is king and he's coming again. This is the central claim of the book of Revelation. This is the central claim of the church throughout history. And I wonder if it's just in the last 60, 80, 100 years that those of us in the West who have a pretty half-decent quality of life, I wonder if we've lost how powerful that statement, not just about the fact that Jesus is king, but that he's coming again. It was central in the Apostles' Creed. It was, I believe in Jesus Christ our Lord. and It, t- it says that he will come to judge the living and the dead. The simple message of the book of Revelation is that Jesus is king and he's coming again. It helps us deal with our lack of insight, doesn't it? It gives us a window. No, Jesus is king. It helps us get over our like myopic, overly materialistic vision that we're just we can't see beyond what's right in front of us, and sometimes we can't even see that. And it helps us see the hidden powers that lie beneath things. Like just this past week, I was talking to a friend, and and he was going on about just the government and all this and that. You've heard that you've heard the the conversations and went right down the you know the, the conspiracy vortex of like no, there's some big evil cabal behind it all pulling strings and making money off of this and they're and and I said you know here's where I differ from you I do think there's something behind all this that's trying to oppress people and rob people and take from people and remove freedoms. I do believe that, but I don't think it's people. You see, the word tells me there's a dragon behind it all that's trying to exact chaos on the whole world. We don't war against flesh and blood. We war against powers and principalities of darkness, but Jesus is Lord over them. It helps us see beyond this this kind of myopic, temporal veil. It also helps with our lack of foresight, doesn't it? It helps us see what we can't see coming. It helps us know he's coming again. Like some of you have heard this said recently. Oh, I wonder if there's going to be another wave. Well, yes, there is. There's going to be a wave of judgment And a wave of glory that comes that will do away with all viruses forever and ever and ever. There is a coming wave. Jesus is king and he's coming again. I hope you're getting that cadence in your spirit. Jesus is king and he's coming again. If you want to know the future... I'll tell you the ultimate future. Jesus is king and he's coming again. It doesn't tell you exactly what it's going to look like, doesn't tell you when it's going to happen, just tells you that Jesus is king and that he is coming again. That's the message of Revelation, and that's consistent. In the whole of Scripture, all the way through, it's consistent. It it echoes the claims of Scripture. It echoes the wisdom we find in Scripture. You see it right at the beginning in the prophetic passages. Genesis 3 talks about how Jesus is going to come again and crush the head of the serpent the dragon. We see it in Revelation. Ezekiel and Daniel, they prophesy the destruction of empires. Go look at it. The destruction of beasts and the coming son of man. Isaiah and Jeremiah speak of the ultimate and final establishment of the kingdom of God and the abolishment of all that opposes his good and glory. It's it's right through the Bible. You see it you see it not just in the Old Testament, you see it not just with the, with the prophetic vision, but you also see it in the, prover- in the Proverbs, you see it in Psalms, you see it in the wisdom found in the scriptures, trying to remind us to see the big picture, to, to know our own mortality and to see that God is coming and there's this bigger eternal kingdom that we all are going to play a part in. We also see it in the pastoral passages, we see it... In in the words of Paul, when he talks about the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, we who are living and have died in Christ will be with the Lord forever. It also, we see it in the words of Jesus. In the warnings of Jesus even, to actually keep the end in mind, his second coming, keep it front and center. Have you thought about the fact that Jesus is coming back lately? I know it's something we don't think about that often, but it was central to Jesus. He taught about this more than most things. He talked about it. There's a whole chapter in Matthew 24, he talks about the second coming. He said this himself, therefore keep watch. Have, have eternity in mind, have my coming in mind, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch, he would have been ready. And he would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him Revelation, it echoes these words. Jesus himself says it all through the book that he's coming. He says, I'm coming again. Behold, I'm coming again. I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. Have you thought about the fact not just that Jesus is king, but that he's coming again? The book of Revelation is about the return of the king. And this is the single most pressing reality for you and me. The fact that Jesus is king And he's coming again. This is the most pressing reality in your life, according to the book of Revelation. Like presently, right now, more pressing than COVID, more pressing than family issues, more pressing than marriage issues, more pressing than health, pressing than health issues, money issues, is the fact that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is coming back to exact justice and establish his kingdom. That is the ultimate, most pressing reality that all of us face, according to the book. It says, Behold, Jesus is king, and he's coming again soon. Let it shape your perspective today. Let it destroy your anxiety for those of you who belong to him. Let it restore your joy. Let it frame your thinking and direct your decisions. Let it establish your values. Jesus is king, and he's coming again, and he will bring justice and life and joy and peace and prosperity when he comes. It's time for the people of God to recover the big picture that's my simple message to you today is that Jesus is king and some of you are questioning that but the book of Revelation says look I saw a lamb on the throne not Caesar not COVID not your money not your problems a lamb Jesus is on the throne and it says the day of the Lord is coming he says he's coming And I wonder if we are missing a great power and peace in our lives by sleeping on the fact that he's coming again. I have three quick thoughts for you today about keeping the second coming in mind, getting the big picture of revelation before us. Three really quick things and I'm going to wrap up. Number one is this, the second coming should be our first concern. The fact that the king is coming again, that Jesus is king and he's coming again should be our first concern. It's this idea of being prepared. Like, like Frankie says, be prepared. Jesus is coming. Uh, that's ad lib. That's, that's not in my notes. Anyway, I feel like that's going to be a meme at some point. But he's coming again. Jesus is coming and we should be concerned by this. Now, what do I mean? Concern. Well, think about like what concerns you what do you think about? What occupies your mind? What directs your values? What, what, what's important to you? I've been thinking about the fact that I don't concern myself with the fact that Jesus is coming again that often. I think about his kingship. I think about his kingdom a lot, but the fact that he's coming again oftentimes just slips my mind. But Jesus says, look, I'm coming soon. Concern yourself. Focus on it. Think about it. Concern. Like, like, how should we be concerned? Because there's, there's multiple ways to be concerned. There's like the anxious concern. Like, should I be concerned? Or there's the concern, like in that, like I should be focused or I should value this. Should I be anxious or should I like just be focused? And the answer is, well, maybe depends. Maybe it's yes. See, scripture tells us that we need to be ready. And that it's, it's critical that we're ready. And that this day that when Jesus comes back is going to be Great and terrible. It's actually known as the great and terrible day of the Lord. That's why in Revelation 19, it starts out so good. Like, here comes the one whose name mercy and truth, whose name is the king of kings and lord of lords, who rules in justice. And then it gets gnarly. It gets into this, like, throwing things into the lake of fire and beasts and stuff and people that are marked by the beast. That's intense. That's intense. And so when he comes, there's this reality, of, uh, there's this urgency to it because it will, his return will be a final moment of separation. It will be this moment where God himself, Jesus himself comes and separates light from dark, right from wrong, death, life from death. He actually eradicates creation from sin and death and Satan. So it's going to be the end of hope. Now think about this. When Jesus returns, it marks the end of all hope. Now for the one whose hope is in Jesus, their hope is now fulfilled. But the one whose hope was not in Jesus, their hope is gone. It is a great and or terrible day. Great that he's coming back to establish justice and to correct all things that are off and to heal all things that are broken. He's coming to make wrong things right. That's great, but it's terrible. It's a bad day. Like Jesus said, I'm going to come back and separate the sheep from the goat, the wheat from the tares. It's going to be a bad day for goats, a bad day for wheat or for tares. And so it's a day of reckoning. And we will pass through this, all of us, according to the scripture, we will pass through this. And here's the problem. The problem is, how do we become sheep and not goats? How do we make sure that we are on the right side of that axe that's going to drop? And that's a very good question. And that's why this should concern you. And here's the reality. A lot of us, we think, you know what? Well, I'm a pretty good person. That's oftentimes the thing that if you ask somebody on the street, should you go to heaven someday? You know, would God accept you in? Why should he? And the answer most people will give is, well, I'm a pretty good person. But here's the problem with that answer. Uh, you know, we lack vision and oftentimes we aren't really super clear or don't have, aren't super self-aware and we actually think we're better than we actually are and we grade ourselves on a curve. We just find somebody that we think we're slightly better than and we think, well, I'm better than him, so there we go. But the reality is we're not that good and here's the bigger problem. Pretty good in God's creation isn't good enough. When Jesus comes back, he's establishing perfection. So there's no sin. So if if we are broken and busted in our own works, we are going to be in big trouble. And so how do we make sure we're sheep and not goats? Well, the answer is the gospel. It's back to the lamb that was slain. And that is the question, have you come to the shepherd? Have you come to the good shepherd who laid his life down for the sheep? This is the good news of Jesus. That he who, like it says in 2 Corinthians 5, he who knew no sin, so he was perfect, became sin so that we who are all sinners, myself, you, we're all sinners so that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, through Jesus, we are made right with God and we don't need to be afraid of his coming. We need to be anticipating it. We need to be wanting him to come back. We need to want him. We can boldly approach him. Why? Because his works, his blood has covered us and we are now seen as righteous to God. We are part of that perfect picture of God's new world. How cool is that? If you are in Christ, if you belong to Jesus, this will be the greatest day in history. This will be the greatest moment of your whole life. I promise you. It's a moment where our faith becomes sight. This day of reckoning for the believer is a day of reconciling. It's a day of reunion, of seeing lost loved ones, of, of reuniting with people that we've missed, and of course, of reuniting with Jesus himself. It's our day of great reward, which brings me to number two. I'll be done in just a second. The second coming should be our first comfort. It should be our first comfort. It's about peace, It's about the promise. It's about the hope of our lives. I think, you know what? If the last two years have taught me anything, it's that I have a little too much invested in right now. I have a little too much hope put in things that are here today and gone tomorrow. I might have let too much treasure, whether it's money or my intentions or my efforts, go into things that moth and rust destroy. And Jesus told us over and over again, no, 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 no what's good is coming. The kingdom is coming to bring ultimate joy and ultimate blessing. This world is just a foretaste. It's a shadow. The best this world has to offer is just whetting your appetite for what God has in store for you. This should be our great hope. This book was given to start painting in the picture. we're gonna spend a few weeks on this. We're gonna spend about three weeks just sort of imagining heaven together and painting in the picture of the reward and the award that awaits those of us who have lived our lives in Jesus. Even the 11th hour person who at the moment of their deathbed says, Jesus, I want you. You are gonna receive all the promise of God on your life as well. But it's important that we recognize this is our great source of comfort. I've been finding that over the last couple years. Even as I've seen some things go sideways and I've experienced some pain in my own life. Relationship pain, career pain, pain in family. I've lost loved ones. And in those times, the idea and the reminder that my hope is not in this life. My hope is not in this world that I'm banking everything on the fact that Jesus is king and that he's coming again and he's going to establish my forever and it's going to be awesome. There's where my hope is. That hope carries my family forward. Like when my aunt Janet passed away, that hope was central. God gave me a message called worth the weight. The weight of what God has in store for us will actually offset all that we lose in this life. I believe it and it comforts me in my day-to-day life. When I'm in these moments of frustration with restrictions or government or human incapacity, all those things, I'm reminded, ah, my King is coming. I'm comforted by that. When we go through extreme loss in these moments, like I got to think about just this week, there was a family from our church going through unimaginable loss and pain. I'm reminded that Jesus is coming. And when he comes, he will wipe away every tear from it every eye, and there will be no more sorrow, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. That's what we live for. We live for that moment. This is why Paul said, look, if, if there's no resurrection and there's no hope of eternal life and Jesus coming again, we might as well pack it up. Eat today, drink, for tomorrow we die, he said. But we do have hope. Jesus is coming again. That's why Paul said in, in Colossians, he said, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For our life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. What hope and what comfort we have. And I'm gonna, we're going to have a ton of fun. It's going to be really refreshing here for the next few weeks. Next week, we're going to talk about hell and the lake of fire. But the three weeks after that, we're going to talk about heaven. It's going to be awesome. Actually, next week's going to be good news too. So just hang with us. Last thought, and I'm going to pray. Number three, the second coming should be our first, con- our first conviction. It's a question of priorities. And it's attached to our hope. But it's this idea like, like what are you living for? What do you invest in your life in? What's most important to you? How, how, what informs your perspective? What informs your values, your decisions? How you spend your time, your money, your efforts? What's most important to you? I believe for the believer, this message of the book of Revelation, if we really believe that Jesus is king and he's coming again to establish his kingdom, then we should take him seriously. When he said, look, like what does it profit a man? He gains the whole world, that forfeits his soul. The eternal matters more. Like, don't, don't store up treasure for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroys. It's, store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, nothing perishes. See, I believe we gotta keep this front and center. It's a question of conviction. So what, what conviction should we have based on his second coming? Well, one is we need, we need to see people saved. Like Pastor John talked about last week, like our primary marching orders, we're the army of the Lamb. And so we're the mechanism on earth right now that says, hey, come and be saved. Come and receive life. You too can be reconciled to the Lamb. Come and receive mercy. Turn from your sin, repent of your sin, and say, Jesus, I need mercy. We are God's ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassadors. We should take so seriously the fact that he's coming again. And when he comes, if you don't know him, it's too late. We should really, that should matter to us. Our friends who don't know him should matter to us. Our family members who don't know him, that should matter to us. We should be have a conviction about it. I gotta tell people. And we should invest ourselves. That conviction should turn into investment. We should be putting ourselves into the kingdom, making sure that the kingdom is being established on earth as it is in heaven. This is the message that I feel like God wanted you to hear today: that the king is coming. The king is coming. Jesus is king, and he's coming again. That's the big picture of everything. You want to know the big picture? You want to see the future? Here it is. Jesus is king, and he's coming again. Let it frame in your thoughts today. Let it frame in your hopes, your perspective, your priorities, your values, your endeavors, your purpose, your response to things when they go sideways. Jesus is king, and he's coming again. I hope it's soon. The early church had a saying, and it was like a greeting. You know how, like, French people, they say salut, and it, it means, like, hello and goodbye, I think, maybe. Uh, uh, ciao, I think. Does ciao say, mean hello and goodbye? Anyway, it was a saying that the early church had. They would say maranatha, and they would say it when they said hello, maranatha. Like, if two Christians met in the marketplace, they'd say, they'd shake hands or hug, and they'd say maranatha. Or if they were leaving one another, they say, hey, Maranatha. What Maranatha means, roughly or loosely, is come Lord Jesus. Or actually, like, there's, a, there's an urgency connected to it. Like, oh Lord, come. I love that that was their greeting in the first century. Maybe life was hard enough that they had to keep the fact that Jesus is their hope and he's coming again front and center. And they were constantly saying to one another when they saw each other in the morning, hey, Maranatha, when they went to bed at night and they, they said goodbye at night, Maranatha, when they showed up at work, Maranatha, when they went to bed at night or when they, when they went to the funeral home or they went to the unemployment line or they were on the mountain or in the valley, wherever they were, it was Maranatha. Come Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. That is the message. And that is the burden that we have as a church, that Jesus is Lord and he's coming again. And that will be the best thing that has ever happened to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you have conquered death, that you have paid our debt and we are no longer property of sin and Satan that we no longer need to stand guilty before you, judged and condemned, but through your blood and by your mercy, we have been set free and made new and restored and we can boldly approach the throne of grace. Father, would the reality of your goodness and your kingship rest upon us? And will we start to be more shaped by the imminent reality of your return? Father, help us live like Maranatha lives. Lives that speak Maranatha. May we greet one another with Maranatha. May our lives be a giant proclamation that says, "Come, Lord Jesus, we need you here. We need you to establish your kingdom." When we grieve, would we just would we say Maranatha? When we are at, when we lose hope, will we be reminded He's coming again? Father, would you help us live in the light of your kingship and the coming reality of your kingdom? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Maranatha Church.